Seven hours is not a town hall. It is a hostage situation. <laughs> yes, it is. Nailed it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Well, that's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Nowadays. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California on KFOI in Red Bluff and Redding, KKRN in Round Mountain, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. For your listening convenience, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We have a very green show. Uh, Very green. If you happen to miss CNN's seven-hour 2020 Democratic Presidential Climate Crisis Town Hall, which was actually really interesting uh, from what I saw of it, uh, based on the not seven hours that I saw, but the several (laughs) hours that I saw. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hello. I thought it was interesting, too. Really, really substantive. Neat. We will get a neat Full breakdown (laughs) from uh, someone who I bet did watch all seven hours. That would be energy and climate journalist David Roberts of Vox.com. He will join us momentarily for that. Also, Desi Doyen, you've got a fresh green news report for us later today that both covers that town hall and Hurricane Dorian, which is now bearing down on the Carolinas as we go to air as the humanitarian crisis is still unfolding in the Bahamas, where Dorian parked as a Category 5 storm for about two devastating days. But very quickly, before we get to David Roberts, uh, speaking of climate-changed-fueled hurricanes, the Trump administration is working very hard, it seems, to ensure more of them, I guess. On Wednesday, the Trump administration announced a rollback of requirements for energy-saving light bulbs, which contribute to the greenhouse gas emissions that cause climate change. The Energy Department's filing in the Federal Register will prevent new efficiency standards from going into effect on January 1, under a law passed in 2007. Uh, As the New York Times notes, the gradual shift towards more efficient light bulbs is one of the unsung success stories in the fight to reduce energy use and, with it, greenhouse gas emissions. 
Lucas Davis, a professor at the Haas School of Business at uh, UC Berkeley, said U.S. household energy consumption is down 6% from uh, since 2010 as uh, and that this is due in part to the increase in the use of energy efficient lighting. LED bulbs show how seemingly modest shifts in technology can have a profound effect on people's lives and on their wallets. Because of their long life and their energy efficiency, an LED bulb can save consumers an estimated $50 to $100 over its several-year lifetime. That is just one bulb. LED bulbs, uh, which used to be much more expensive than incandescent, have dropped in price. They can be found for like less than two bucks each. Congress had passed this uh, legislation in 2007 during the administration of President George W. Bush. But you may remember, I know you do, Des, how Fox News and the Republicans freaked out about Barack Obama (laughs) banning your light bulbs. Remember that? Tyranny. Pretending that they forgot that Bush did it. Exactly. Uh, And the bill was passed with bipartisan uh, support, and it's been wildly successful. These LEDs are now sold in huge volumes in all 50 states. Everybody likes them. Uh, Saving the climate and saving money does not have to be a painful thing necessarily, no matter how much Republicans and the fossil fuel industry would like you to believe that. The uh, Center for Energy Efficiency Standards at the National Resources Defense Council, uh, the director there, Noah Horowitz, says energy wasting incandescence and uh, halogens still make up more than a third of new bulb sales. We need standards to ensure that every new bulb sold is an efficient one. And that's what these standards would have helped us get towards. But the Trump administration wants to roll them back cost consumers more money, more energy, and make pollution worse worse along with it. Yep. And our climate crisis. So uh, that seems to be the goal of the Trump administration, to make things worse for the climate, underscoring, frankly, how important it is that this nation removes him from office no later than November of 2020. And to that end, 10 2020 Democrats took 40 minutes each to discuss their plans for saving humanity amidst our climate crisis. In CNN's Climate Crisis Town Hall on Wednesday, we'll be joined by David Roberts for a few minutes to discuss those seven hours, because I bet he's got a thought or two on them, you think? (laughs) Probably. Some of which sounded like this, by the way. Here's Anderson Cooper with Bernie Sanders. Uh, Just today, the Trump administration announced plans to overturn requirements on energy-saving light bulbs. Uh, It's obviously a move that could increase greenhouse gas emissions. Would you reinstate those requirements as president? (laughs) Look, all of that and more straight ahead. Next on the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks.
It's not easy being great. <laughs> no, it's not. Welcome back. Heaven is it's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The Democratic National Committee, for reasons that still are not particularly clear to me, refused to allow a 2020 Democratic presidential debate focused solely on our climate crisis and the various candidates differing and often agreed upon solutions to the crisis. The DNC did allow, however, for candidates to participate in town halls where they did not appear at the same time on the same stage focused on climate. And so to that end, and to their credit, I believe, CNN took that ball and ran with it big time on Wednesday night in what turned out to be an epic seven-hour event with each of the candidates having 40 minutes to answer questions from CNN anchors and audience members alike. I should say the top 10 uh, Democratic candidates. CNN's Chris Cuomo introduced the segment with South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg this way as ongoing hurricanes and fire set a pretty appropriate backdrop for the crisis that the nation and the globe are now facing, even as Donald Trump and the Republican Party continue to ignore the crisis and, in fact, continue to implement policies that will make it far, far worse. One night, 10 top Democratic candidates answering questions from Democratic and independent voters about one urgent issue, the climate crisis. Welcome to our viewers in the United States and around the world. I'm Chris Cuomo. Now, I want to show you something that just gives you the status of the crisis. Look behind me. On one side, this is a picture of an actual wildfire burning right now. This is just outside Los Angeles, La Cresta, California, okay? So that's one type of situation that we're seeing more and more of that scientists say is indicative of climate change. Now on the East Coast, as you all know, we're dealing with Hurricane Dorian. And again, scientists tell us consistently that we are seeing more intense storms more frequently that are more complicated by the effects of climate change. These are both happening right now on our watch. The question is, what will be done about it? Scientists are telling us we're seeing the consequences of the climate crisis, okay? They also say that we could cross a massive tipping point. If what? If the world warms more than 1.5 degrees Celsius, it's just about three degrees Fahrenheit. Now, we've already warmed up the planet one degree Celsius since the Industrial Revolution. So we're more than halfway there. Young people are worried about a livable future for the planet. It's not some abstract idea for them. Not a bad backdrop, a uh, bad introduction for the entire evening, in fact. Uh, now, one of the things that I learned in watching the uh, CNN Climate Crisis Town Hall is that, well, I could not watch all seven hours. So uh, hopefully my guest joining me momentarily at least came close to it. God bless him. But while efforts to solve the crisis often seem overwhelming, given its scope, I, I realize that even covering the attempts to solve this crisis is something that we all still need to sort of learn how to do. I don't 
I don't know how to do that with a seven-hour forum, uh, and I don't know that a seven-hour forum was particularly helpful. Or maybe it was. David Roberts of Vox.com, who joins me in a second, may have some thoughts on that. But for those unable to watch it all, reporting on this is no easy feat either, especially when I'd like to be as fair as possible to all of the participants. So here, helpful or otherwise, is at least a quick montage as created by CNN Today, featuring a few thoughts from all 10 invited participants in their seven-hour-long climate crisis forum on Wednesday night, including, in the order that you will hear them here, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Andrew Yang, Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Julian Castro, and Cory Booker. Last month, you tweeted, Donald Trump believes climate change is a hoax. Donald Trump is an idiot. Do you feel that I say that? Well, yeah, I did. <laughs> Forget the word idiot. It is so dangerous. It is dangerous. We are the most powerful country on earth. We should be leading the world to a global energy transition. And you have a president who thinks it's not real. That is idiotic. And as it relates to those Republicans in Congress, where I've now been for two and a half years, Every one of those members need to look at the babies, the grandbabies in their life, and then look in the mirror and ask themselves, why have they failed to act? Because on the issue of this climate crisis, I'm going to tell you, I strongly believe this is a fight against powerful interests. And leaders need to lead. So lead, follow, or get out the way. And get out the way, starting with Donald Trump. What bothers me most about what's going on in the country today we're walking around with our heads down like, oh, what are we going to do? We're in such great trouble. This is the United States of America. There's not a damn thing we've not been able to accomplish once we set our mind to it. You should not be stressed out about the water that you are drinking and your kids are drinking. And this is, again, uh, the problem with having the almighty dollar running our society where people look up and say, oh, replacing the pipes is expensive or, oh, another substance would be more expensive. Are you kidding me? You know what's expensive? Poisoning our kids. You don't get to ruin the air for everyone else, the water for everyone else, the soil for everyone else. We don't just to help giant corporations. They don't get to make our kids sick. They don't get to shorten lifespans because it increases their profitability. In the year 2100, when my eight-year-old son, Henry, is going to be 88 years old, um, this planet will have warmed four and a half to five degrees Celsius. Uh, as scientists say, at that point, we are screwed. I mean, Congress right now is like, it's like a room full of doctors arguing about what to do over a cancer patient. And half of them are arguing over whether medication or surgery is the best approach. And the other half are saying cancer doesn't exist. Think of what a disservice this is. This is a life or death issue. So how do you plan to help communities of colors in times of climate change fuel disasters? Thank you. That is a key question because we need environmental justice in this country. People who are economically disadvantaged and people of color, many times they're the ones left behind. And when those houses get ruined, and you can see it in the Bahamas right now, when those houses go down, it's often the houses of those that can afford it the least. As we experience more storms with more intensity, we need to both take the right steps to prevent climate change so that that won't happen, but then when it does, if it does, to address it, no matter who you are, and make it affordable, in part through that national flood insurance right. program, I'm committed to doing that. I, I'm going to warn folks right now. If you elect me your president, I'm going to ask more from you 
than any other president in your lifetime. Because I grew up from parents who taught me if there is no struggle, there is no progress. We can ignite that moral imagination of this country and we can deal with this problem as big as it may seem, it's not bigger than who we are as a people together. That was about three minutes from the uh, seven-hour CNN Town Hall Forum on the Climate Crisis. Joining us now to discuss those three minutes and the other six hours and 57 minutes to somehow make sense of all of this is the great David Roberts. He writes about politics, climate, and energy and the confluence thereof at Vox.com. He's covered those issues for well over a decade now, for many years at Grist.org, now many years at Vox, and he has also contributed to or been featured in the New York Times, the Boston Globe, Fast Company, Huffington Post, Outside Magazine, and Wired, among many others. David Roberts, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad, good to be here. Uh, Okay, as I noted, David, I I really don't know how to cover something like this, much less do so fairly. Uh, I'm going to do my best here, and I hope you can help me, uh, or at least uh, just do most of the heavy lifting for me, if you don't mind. Uh, Let's let's start with the the broad picture here, David. Overall, what did you think of this format? Folks like you have been asking for a forum like this uh, that focuses on on climate. Well, you got one, and it was seven hours long. Was it useful? <laughs> well, um, I will say, and this is uh, this is a break from, I think, probably my normally expected cynicism. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that this, what happened was a thousand times better than a debate mm. would have been. Thousand times better, really. Because if people watch the Democratic debates, like this is what I feel like a lot of Democrats or even climate activists don't get is like these cable news moderators mm-hmm. are not your friends. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 want gotchas. They want viral moments. Mm-hmm. They want Democrats to be forced to awkwardly respond to Republican talking points. Like that's what the first two primary debates was practically right. like. You know, how much will you raise taxes in the middle class? You know, what what are you going to take away from people? Just all this kind of thing. So I just think like a climate debate when they only had 30 seconds at a time just would have been a shallow, ridiculous show, honestly. Like I I was not among the people out calling for it. But this but this was um, and I will also say that this event turned out a thousand times better than I expected it Mm. to be. I mean, you think seven hours a lot could go wrong. <laughs> a lot could go wrong right. with that kind of event. I mean, and I sort of what I expected, and I think what a lot of people expected, is just a kind of like super boring cliche fest, mm-hmm. right? Just a bunch of shallow questions and shallow cliche answers. You know, global warming is real. Right. We need to rejoin the Paris Agreement, et cetera. Like, it easily could have been just tedious. Well, seven hours. But, 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 but I will say, while the moderators varied in quality, mm-hmm. and Wolf Blitzer remains an embarrassment to both cable news and humanity, <laughs> uh, that, that overall, it was incredibly substantive, and there was incredibly little fat on it, and incredibly little repetition, and just in, like it was, it was, it was just wildly substantive and serious beyond my expectations that so is... i was like I, I i i loved it i mean i i gave i give cnn enormous credit 
We're pulling this together. Did the uh, and like I say, I'm sure you saw more of it than. I, did you see all seven hours? By the way, David, I I, I sat and watched all seven hours, okay. and I did not think I was going to be capable of that. But right. it was actually like, like it was interesting. No, the whole it, time it was interesting. Like it wasn't even they didn't even get asked. All, I mean, they they got there were some questions repeated mm-hmm. with different candidates, but but even for the most part, like every time, I mean specifically. I, I want to know who what CNN intern mm-hmm. was charged with choosing questioners because whoever that is deserves a giant raise. The, because as, as, as goofy as the moderators were occasionally, right? The, the caliber, the caliber of questions that they chose from the audience was amazing. Like it was just like knockout, fantastic question one after another. Really like specific enough to demand a substantive response you know like not just to like get cliches in response but not be sort of like mm-hmm. obsess over some obscure side issue question that you so often get from well, audience members they d- were just really good that that has sort of been a pattern as that we've seen in these uh forums where they do open it up to questions from the audience uh you know even when they have done so uh, in presidential debates where you know you might get the cnn moderators spending all of their time talking about yeah well how will you pay for it or are you going to ban airplanes and cheeseburgers then they open it up to the audience and the audience members and in this case they were a lot of i mean there were a lot of uh environmental uh, groups activists and so force rep- yeah, yeah. represented. Yeah, I mean, these were not random people, obviously. <laughs> but they were, but they were very smart questions that you kind of wish the the CNN moderators would be able to put forward themselves. But I found that actually a number of them did. Yeah, uh, you quoted. I, I think this is in uh, your article at Vox.com today. Wolf Blitzer's idea of a tough question <laughs> was pushing Andrew Yang on whether all Americans are going to have to drive electric cars. And I think Aaron. Uh, Burnett, I think, used a, a similar question. Are we going to all have to drive electric cars? Uh, Yang said, electric cars, it's not something you have to do. It's awesome. And Blitzer said, so what's the answer? Are we all going to have to drive electric cars? And Yang said, we are all going to love driving electric cars. And then, of course, Blitzer repeated one more time, will we have to drive electric yeah, cars? Right. He really thought he was he really thought he was onto something. Somewhere <laughs> in Wolf Blitzer's pea brain, that's what that's what qualifies as a tough question is is you're 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 framing things uh, one way, but what about this Republican framing? Yeah. What about this Republican framing? Yeah. Like, respond to this Republican framing. Like, why is that? What is, what is tough about that, Wolf? It's just, it's embarrassing. Well, Elizabeth Warren... I mean, there was, a, there was a while in the debate, especially when Wolf and Aaron were the moderators, right. where they would cut back and forth from moderator questions to audience questions. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it was making me laugh out loud because the audience questions were so wildly and obviously and glaringly superior... <laughs> to the moderator questions on every level that it was almost like CNN was like clowning itself, like like almost like trying to embarrass its moderators. It almost seemed like performance art after a while, the, the contrast between moderator questions and audience questions. I mean, it got a little bit better once Anderson Cooper took over, like the later uh-huh. moderators were better, but especially at the beginning, it was just like, it's like CNN is trying with a wink to sort of make the point 
point about right. how terrible cable news is. They, they, you're right. When uh, Cooper took over and and Chris Cuomo and they also had uh, who's their uh, climate correspondent Bill, Bill Weir, Weir was uh, right. He did a, a nice job, I thought, throughout. Um, but just to sort of frame what you're talking about here, Elizabeth Warren was asked, uh, as were several of the candidates, and this was uh, by Chris Cuomo, I think, what they thought about yeah. the Trump administration's announcement yesterday that they were rolling back regulations concerning energy-saving light bulbs, which was based on a bipartisan law passed during the George W. Bush administration and implemented very successfully under President Obama. I, I want to play this question and answer, though, because not because I'm pimping for Warren here, but because I think the way she responds and the point that she makes here is an important one that kind of applies to the entire matter. Now, when I think it was Cuomo also asked uh, Bernie Sanders if he would restore those standards that Trump was rolling back, uh, Sanders' uh, answer was, duh, which I thought was kind of a good answer, in fact. But, but Warren was better. <laughs> uh, the way she responded here, I think, is an important one because I think it applies to the matter you're talking about, David, uh, and and to all the candidates and to the media's approach to it all that I think is worth sharing. And then I want to get your, your thoughts on this. Today, the president announced plans to roll back energy-saving light bulbs, and he wants to reintroduce four different kinds, which I'm not going to burden you with, but one of them is the candle-shaped ones, and those, those are a favorite for a lot of people, by the way. But do you think that the government should be in the business of telling you what kind of light bulb you can have? Oh, come on. Give me a break. You know... Is that look, a yes? No. Here's... It, look, there are a lot of ways that we try to change our energy consumption and our pollution. And God bless all of those ways. Some of it is with light bulbs, some of it is on straws, some of it, dang, is on cheeseburgers, right? There are a lot of different pieces to this, and I get that people are trying to find the part that they can work on and what can they do, and I'm in favor of that, and I'm going to help, and I'm going to support. But understand, this is exactly what the fossil fuel industry hopes we're all talking about. That's what they want us to talk about. This is your problem. They want to be able to stir up a lot of controversy around your light bulbs, around your straws, and around your cheeseburgers. When 70% of the pollution of the carbon that we're throwing into the air comes from three industries, and we can set our targets and say by 2028, 2030, and 2035, no more. Think about that right there. Now, the other 30% we still got to work on. Oh, no, we don't stop at 70%. But the point is, that's where we need to focus. And why don't we focus there? It's corruption. It's these giant corporations that keep hiring the PR firms that does it. Everybody has fun with it, right? Gets it all out there. So we don't look at who's still making the big bucks of polluting our Earth. The time for that is past. We have a chance, a chance left in 2020 to turn this around. But we are, we are running out of time on this one. So we've got to do this in 2020. And that means the first thing we've got to do is we've got to attack this corruption head on in Washington and say enough of having the oil industry, the fossil fuel industry, write all our laws in this area. No more. No more.
That was Elizabeth Warren at CNN's Climate Crisis Town Hall. I mentioned uh, at the top here that, you know, solving the climate crisis is obviously something we're all figuring out how to do. I'm trying to figure out how to cover all of this, as I suspect David Roberts is. And I think the candidates are also trying to figure out how to respond to the media here. David uh, Roberts, she's attacking the premise of the entire question, uh, which I think is the right way to go uh, until the media figures this out. Yes, no, I could not agree more. I cheered uh, out loud when <laughs> she did that because this has been a repeated, this was a, a theme of the questions all night. But beyond that, it's a theme of cable news moderator questions at every event everywhere, right? It was a theme of cable news moderator questions at the debates, too, just like, just like, what mm-hmm. are you going to take away? Are you do-gooder Democrats with your do-gooder goals? We all know that the fine print is you're going to raise our taxes and take stuff away. So just admit it. Like, what is it? How much are you going to raise our taxes? What are you going right. to take away? Right. That's just the premise. That's It's not a question. That's the premise of the question, right? Right. And I'm, I'm very glad uh, Warren finally became the first one to challenge that directly i actually mm-hmm. think she could have done uh, an, an even better job i mean i think she kind of got the point across mm-hmm. but 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 like what she should be saying is fossil fuels have a lock on our economy and our society not because they're the best but because they're the richest and the most powerful they're not you're not getting the best products and services that you could be getting as as a result of this blessed free market you're getting what these big incumbents will let you get and if we break their power and create more competition and create more products and expand the palette of energy, you're going to get more and better stuff. That's the whole point about electric cars. They're better. Like, they're more fun to drive. They're, they operate better. They accelerate faster. They need fewer repairs. Like, this notion that, that, that it's all sacrifice is just what Republicans want. That's how Republicans mm-hmm. want to frame the discussion. That's how they've wanted and attempted to frame every discussion about environmental policy going back four or five decades now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why it's sunk in in cable newsland so much. Like, they just hear that from Republicans who they who they feature on their shows disproportionately mm-hmm. all the time. And so it just sinks in as a kind of background assumption but it's but but it's absurd like it's just absurd you're going to have you know a a cleaner world with fewer fossil fuels is going to be better energy is going to be cheaper your products are going to be better and cleaner you're going to have better health this whole notion that we're like putting on a sackcloth to save quote unquote earth Mm -hmm. is just such a dumb old outmoded uh, yeah. you know, cliche that they just, I, and I'm glad I, w- I'm glad Warren took it on squarely and just said like, this is what fossil fuel companies want. Like they want you to focus on straws, right? You know, it's just the dumbest, it's just a stupid side issue. And like, honestly, I thought the worst moment of the entire night mm-hmm. was when Kamala Harris allowed herself to be maneuvered and it was maneuvered, mm-hmm. deliberately maneuvered, into saying, yes, I will ban plastic straws. Right. 
Because, of course, that's going to be the damn headline that everybody, you know, like, of right. course, that's going to be the headline. Of course, that's exactly what Fox wants. Well, the she, she also took the she also took the bait. I mean, she said, uh, yeah, yeah, plastic totally straws does. are better. Paper straws are very difficult and and so on and so yeah. forth. But yeah, I know paper straws are terrible, but I'm going to ban the other one kind anyway. Like, right. what are you doing? Uh, but now to her credit uh, in this case, she also did turn it around because she did get one of those questions about uh, personal sacrifice there was a lot about this uh you know are we going to have to sacrifice is it going to be too difficult to survive and she did turn that around i think it was her she said uh, yeah we'll sacrifice by driving quieter cars like a prius having cleaner air like we now have in la um so is is do the solutions here require the type of personal sacrifice that is going to be so difficult for so many people that we are told over and over again that uh, we are just going to have to suffer and endure if we are to solve this crisis? Or is that just one of those phony questions that the fossil fuel companies are very happy to hear asked? Well, I mean, it sort of depends on how long a view you take. I mean, it is, it is unquestionable that we could get really far mm-hmm. just by being more efficient and by substituting equally good products for carbon-based products. Like, we, we could get a long, long, long way without any sacrifice mm-hmm. in our lifestyle at all. The larger question of whether we can get to zero on the time scale we need to get to zero mm-hmm. without sacrifice is is an open question and like it would be interesting to hear discussed among people of good faith who aren't just trying to drag democrats mm-hmm. you know so so i mean the, it, it's also one un, un, unquestionable truth in energy is that it, the fastest way to reduce carbon emissions is to use less, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the fastest. There is no technology can develop and diffuse faster than people just not doing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so there are people out there who say, you know, we're telling the public a nice story that this is all going to be easy and, and, and free of sacrifice. And in fact, like, as we get through this kind of choke point, right, before we sort of made this transition, as we're going through this transition, it may be, yeah, that we like can't fly as much as we all want to, or you know, have to use a little less beef. And that's and you, you know, and I thought Sanders actually, to his credit, was sort of faced up to that a little bit. But but you know what? Like even if like if you just quietly instituted a small tax mm-hmm. on beef, a small you know, a rising tax on beef, mm-hmm. people would use less beef, right? Because people respond to incentives, but they wouldn't particularly notice, right? I don't well, think, I, I don't think there's actually that many people that would mind doing the things they need to do. What people hate is the idea of being told to do it, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the politically charged thing here. Like if you think about our food choices now, and this I thought one of the best answers of the whole night was from Booker. Booker actually was really, really, he came last, poor guy. Right, who is a, who really is a, strong. Who, like, he's a vegan, by the way, and he was asked, uh, does everybody yeah, yeah. need to be a vegan now if you become president, Cory Booker? Right, Yeah. right. Of course, that's how they phrase the question. But he had a great, a great answer on 
on on food and you know food choices but 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 it's just uh it's just um the idea that what we eat now mm-hmm. and the products we buy now are these sort of like free floating choices that just arose out of the free market mm-hmm. right our pure our just our pure will expressed right and then if government comes in with a regulation all of a sudden they're telling us what to buy and telling us what to do as though our current habits and products and, and processes are not shaped at every level by government policy already as though we're not already being told what to eat and what to drive. You know what I mean? Like we're being told by the structure of the economy and the subsidies and the regulations that favor these sources, right? Like our behavior is already shaped in a million ways. How so? Oh, how book, how so? Give me, give, give me a specific example. How so? How how does the government, uh, as as the argument goes here, uh, shape what it is that we eat? For example, well, there. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've heard about corn subsidies, but like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so pretty much the whole corn industry exists because of subsidies, which means right. we sort of like convulsed our energy world to artificially use more corn. Mm-hmm. We have corn in literally every food in the. <laughs> In the supermarket now, right. and corn syrup, right? Right. It turns out corn syrup isn't actually any healthier or any better for you or any preferable in any way to just plain old sugar. It's just we've got all this corn and all these farmers on the dole, so we eat a lot of corn. And it's the same with beef. Mm-hmm. Like, that's subsidized and protected at every stage, even including up to the USDA food pyramid. Right. I don't know if you've heard about it, yeah. this, but, like, there have been several attempts to change the food pyramid to be more accurate and the friggin' beef industry <laughs> stops it. Like, they have enormous political power. So, the whole point is just like, this notion that we are living in a free market, but if we want cleaner products, all of a sudden the heavy hand of government will enter things yeah. is just fundamentally ludicrous. Like, we're already in a shaped and designed market. Yeah. And this was Booker's point about food, is we can shape it and design it differently for better health. I think you make it. So we're all healthier. Why yeah. wouldn't we do that? Yeah, no, and I think you make a, a great point. It also goes back to, to, to Warren's point, uh, the one that Booker made there. Of course, uh, anyone who listens to this interview, and here's what you just said, David Roberts is going to uh, want to announce that David Roberts wants to ban your cheeseburgers, but that's <laughs> what they do. That is what these people do. All right, we got just a few minutes left here, David. I want to get into some of the specifics because uh, there was a fair amount of questions on let's jump into some of these difficult ones the need for nuclear to solve the cl- the climate crisis now that is a very hot potato issue <laughs> between environmentalists uh, many of whom are, are well respected but believe that we cannot solve the crisis without nuclear it, it seems like something I was looking forward to discussing years down the road once we got past all of the denialism. But if we're actually going to take this matter seriously, we actually do. Or sh- It seems like we should discuss this. How did that matter play out during the CNN forum? I know that uh, Warren was asked about it. She was opposed. Bernie was opposed. Biden, I think, did not seem to be opposed to that. Uh, uh, Booker was yeah. was the most outspoken. Booker and Yang were were extremely outspoken on kind of the pro nuclear mm-hmm. side, and, and and as you say, um, uh, Sanders and Warren both sounded 
anti-nuclear. Mm-hmm. But my whole take on this is that everybody's a lot closer than the heated arguments and rhetoric would lead one to believe. Let's put it that way. Hmm. So, so I think almost everyone agrees that existing nuclear plants, which are providing 20% of U.S. electricity, uh, ought to be um, extended, basically ought to be kept open as long as possible. Now, now that's a real point of policy difference here. Mm-hmm. So almost every candidate agrees on that, even people who are not excited about new nuclear, like me, mm-hmm. still think, like, if you've got carbon-free energy running, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you don't get rid of it. Like, duh. So, or at least, so or at least Bernie, it's the, or at least it's the last thing that you get rid yeah, of once the last, you, the last right. thing you close. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but so here is where Bernie actually has a policy difference. Bernie says explicitly, "I will not extend the licenses mm-hmm. of any of those plants." So that's a real point of contention and a real anti-nuclear stance, and I think substantively the wrong stance. It's not as clear to me that Warren shares that. She was sort of ambiguous in what she said last night. She said, we won't, we won't build any new nuclear, and we're going to wean ourselves off existing nuclear, which mm-hmm. I suppose is like commensurate with thinking that we're going to keep these running for a while, but eventually they're going to close, and eventually they're going to, you mm-hmm. know, we're going to wean ourselves off. So it's just not clear where she came down. But basically, I think most people, most people, especially in the energy world, and I think most candidates are coming around to a basic consensus, which is we need to keep the existing ones open as long as possible because they're providing low-carbon power. We need to, um, we're not going to build any more of the current design, Mm -hmm. right, because it's been made extremely clear now that they are wildly expensive and just like Mm -hmm. the most, one of the most expensive ways of reducing carbon right and 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 it's not it's not we don't need to ban those no one is going to build those no one is going to build one of those without massive 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 state right state backing right and so if we don't back it they're not gonna happen and third we need to uh pour research money into next generation nuclear plants that can use thorium that are that are um you know meltdown proof that are small and modular, all these sort of promising next-gen nuclear technologies that we've been hearing are just over the horizon for ages now. Like, absolutely, they would be great if they happened. If they so happened. We should, so so yeah. we should research them. We should spend a lot of money researching, just as we should spend, like, 10x money on all clean energy research, right? Like, yep. we, we shouldn't be, like, picking and choosing. We should be shoveling money at clean energy at research, this point. everything possible. Yeah, no. So... so those those three pieces, right? Yeah. Existing nukes, keep them open. New nukes, not until we have a new generation, and, and and research the next generation. If you could just like articulate that in a way that didn't trip any sort of keywords or like culture battles, I think that's mostly where everybody comes down. They just emphasize different parts of it. So like Booker and Yang emphasize the research into thorium or or, or whatever, and uh, you know so and. and uh, and Warren sort of said, we're not going to build any new nukes under my administration. I think she was sort of referring to the fact that the current big expensive kind, we're not going to build any more 
of those. So I just don't think people are as far apart as the heat around the subject would lead you to believe. I'm just, uh, I guess, maybe happy that we're sort of actually having this discussion now in public instead of uh, in the dark corners of the web where the uh, lefty environmentalists like uh, you and your friends hang out, David Roberts. Just a a minute or two left. Let me hit a couple of these real quick. Of course, presidents are not kings. Any proposals that, uh, that they have on any of this all of these proposals will have to go through Congress somehow to be approved. So the question of the filibuster came up and whether it should be done away with. And there were some uh, differences. While there was, you know, a lot of things that all of these candidates tended to agree with, there was some difference on the filibuster and whether it should be done away with. Bernie Sanders was uh, did not want to do away with it. I think Elizabeth Warren did. Uh, I think Kamala Harris wanted to. Uh, uh, Kamala you know, Harris out yeah. of nowhere, out of nowhere, volunteered that, even though she wasn't asked. That was like that was Harris's one good moment that made me uh, that made me sit up and cheer when she did that. Well, in order, right? And, and she I don't said think she said that before. And she said it in order to get a Green New Deal passed. We should get rid of the filibuster. So uh, yeah. is that uh, is that is that a solution? Is that the solution? Or, David, does that open up a whole new can of worms or a Pandora's box, if you will, that Democrats would come to regret? Uh, I mean, the filibuster question is, is, is complicated. My, my, well, I'll just say this. Mm-hmm. We know for a certainty that Mitch McConnell will block any Democratic bill that he is capable of blocking. Mm-hmm. Period. Full stop. Right. Any bill. Period. Full stop. I really want people to wrap their heads around that. It seems so obvious, but you like he, we got to start there. Mm-hmm. So, what he has the power to block, he will block. And as long as the filibuster is in place, he will have the power to block everything. So, as long as the filibuster is in place, he's going to block everything. The only thing that could possibly pass, and this is what this is what Sanders tried to gesture at last night, is a budget reconciliation bill, which is right. a sort of special Senate process meant to focus entirely on the budget that can pass with a majority only. The notion that you could get this multifaceted climate plan passed through that process is ludicrous. It's ludicrous. He's misleading his followers when he says this. I kind of think that Bernie knows the filibuster needs to go and has just kind of calculated that it's not good politics Mm. during the primary. So he's sort of like keeping his powder dry on that. That's my Hmm. guess. So, so, I mean, flatly, you're not going to get Medicare for all or a Green New Deal or anything, literally anything, with the filibuster in place. So the long term, like, yes, it will open the possibility that Republicans can pass stuff, too, right? Like, if you make it possible to legislate, you're making it possible for both sides to legislate. But I, but I'll, what I always ask people is, who benefits from paralysis and dysfunction mm-hmm. in government yeah. in the long term, in the big picture, who wins from that situation where no one can do anything? It's the right, because they're the ones who say government can't work. The left desperately needs to show people that government is an instrument of, of public, of the collective good, and they cannot do that with the filibuster in place. So it's just a chance we have to take like we got to be able to do stuff so it may come back to bite the democrats but it's a chance worth taking just to finally move off the status quo uh, i think you're right i also think it's the democratic answer small d democratic answer uh as well yeah. whether we like it or not last question david it's i gotta the get merit yeah <laughs> I, I got to get out here but uh so last question uh is there anyone you cannot support 
given their approach to climate that you saw on that stage on uh, Wednesday night, the uh, 10 candidates, anyone you can't support due to their approach to climate? And is there anyone you specifically would support based on their specific approach to climate? Uh, you know, that's a great question. And I would say uh, regarding the first, like one of my takeaways from the night, I know uh, I know that Democratic primaries are miserable. They were miserable in 2016, and this one's <laughs> probably going to be miserable too. But I really think like Dems should take a step back and appreciate what a great bench they've yeah. got. No one was, no one was bad. Mm-hmm. No one was unprepared. Mm-hmm. Like, like I ask you, Brad, just try to envision any room of of six or seven Republican lawmakers sustaining positive, forward-looking policy discussion for seven hours <laughs> uh, on any on any policy for on seven anything. for seven minutes, Dave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly, and they didn't, and, and they didn't attack each other. Right. The Dems didn't attack each other. They barely even attacked Republicans. It was almost entirely policy focused and mm-hmm. forward looking. It was remarkable. So, so no, everybody's every candidate gets that it's a huge problem and a priority, right? Like on that mm-hmm. basic question, that big thing, it has to be one of the big top priorities. They all agree on that. I mean, obviously, the, the details differ. Like, you know, I think. Um, if I had my total druthers, I would have implemented Inslee's plan. But it now looks like the other candidates are, are rating mm-hmm. <laughs> Inslee's plan for ideas, which is yeah. like be- best case scenario to me. So, so really, like all of them have pretty good plans. And obviously, this utterly goes without saying, but any one of them would be a thousand million times better on climate than any Republican in the country. So, like, I will. whatever your, whatever your de- desiderata is, for choosing among Democrats, like they're all pretty good on climate. Like mm-hmm. on climate, it's it's D versus R that matters, right? Not yeah. D versus D. I will point folks over to Vox.com, where you, with a bunch of your colleagues, wrote an article: uh, six winners and three losers from CNN's Climate Town Hall, and they are not necessarily candidates. So we'll link over to that. Uh, I'll I'll give away the lead here. The winner was Jay Inslee who uh, <laughs> unfortunately, sadly, had to drop out of the race just a couple of weeks ago, but who has, uh, who arguably, uh, there might not have even been this climate town hall uh, were it not for his uh, for yeah, his efforts. For sure. uh, David Roberts, always great catching up with you, my friend. I know there's another uh, climate town hall coming up, I think at the end of the month or in a couple of weeks on MSNBC. Oh, Hopefully, yeah, get some rest, because we'll be bothering you again to join us if you can. David Roberts writes over at Vox.com. You can and should follow him on the Twitters at DRVox. Just think of him as Dr. Vox, as we do. David Roberts, always great speaking with you, my friend. Thanks a lot, Brad. You bet. Okay, as if that's not enough, Green News Report and Desi Doyen are next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay, 
Desiree, are you uh, you you in one piece after uh, covering Dorian for all of these days and that seven-hour climate forum? Are you in one piece still today? <laughs> yeah, plenty to cover, though. Yeah, plenty to cover, uh, and and some of it not very good, as we uh, discuss in our latest Green News report. Our chief concern right now is storm surge. U.S. East Coast facing down Hurricane Dorian. The devastation is unprecedented and extensive. Humanitarian crisis unfolding in Bahamas in Dorian's wake. Plus, tonight, CNN is dedicating an entire night to the climate emergency. 2020 Democrats dive deep into climate action in CNN's Marathon Climate Crisis Town Hall. All of those crises and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. During one White House briefing, about the ongoing threat of hurricanes, Trump said, quote, Why don't we nuke them? We drop a bomb inside the eye of the hurricane and it disrupts it. Why can't we do that? Ooh, 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 I know this one. Uh, because if you nuke a hurricane, you get a radioactive hurricane. This is your Green News Report. It's like putting Chernobyl on jet skis. Okay, Desi Doyen, well, our grand plan of covering a seven-hour climate crisis town hall in six minutes has now been cut by at least half, thanks to Hurricane Dorian. Yes, indeed it has. The U.S. East Coast is facing down impacts from Hurricane Dorian as it crawls northward, currently back to a Category 3 storm. It's packing potentially record storm surge, extreme rainfall, and flooding. Mandatory evacuations and hurricane watches are underway from Florida through the Carolinas to Virginia. But as states were mobilizing their resources to respond to the storm, the Trump administration announced that it plans to transfer $150 million out of FEMA's disaster relief fund to border enforcement. In other words, to build Trump's wall. Exactly. If only it could stop hurricanes. Plus, Trump presented a doctored map to justify his bizarre false claim that Dorian would somehow reach Alabama. Meanwhile, Hurricane Dorian left widespread destruction and an unfolding humanitarian crisis in the Bahamas. One of the most powerful Atlantic hurricanes ever recorded, Dorian stalled in place, unleashing a relentless 41-hour Category 5 bombardment of the islands. At least 20 confirmed dead as of airtime. That number is expected to rise. More than 13,000 homes damaged or destroyed. Tens of thousands in need of food, water, and shelter. It will take years to rebuild and recover, but on MSNBC, Bahamian Prime Minister Hubert Minnis found a bright spot. We're grateful that the storm had not hit uh, economic engine of the Bahamas, which is New Providence. Um, this is the main tourist destination. Our economic engine still functions, and the economic engines will use its power and resources to help rebuild those two islands. The fingerprint of man-made global warming on this particular storm will take time to determine, but Dorian's rapid intensification to Category 5 was fueled by extremely warm ocean temperatures. Recent research suggests that stalled Atlantic storms are becoming more common as climate change alters wind patterns, and Category 4 and 5 storms are occurring more frequently. Both trends are expected to increase as the climate warms. Dorian's impacts were the backdrop 
for CNN's first-of-its-kind seven-hour-long candidate climate forum focused exclusively on climate change on Wednesday. The 10 leading 2020 Democratic presidential primary candidates discussed their climate action proposals. Now, all of the Democratic candidates agree on transitioning to 100 percent clean energy, but they differ on their targets and timelines. They differ on how much to invest in research, in deployment of clean energy, electric vehicles, carbon taxes, on how to ensure a just transition for fossil fuel workers. They differ on fracking and the role of nuclear energy and the proposed Green New Deal. Here's a very small sample. Former Vice President Joe Biden. We're walking around with our heads down like, oh, what are we going to do? We're in such great trouble. This is the United States of America. There's not a damn thing we've not been able to accomplish once we set our mind to it. Here's Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders on helping fossil fuel workers. The men and women who work on the oil rigs, they are not my enemy. What is my enemy is climate change. And what we have done is built into our uh, plan a just transition. Because those workers are not our enemies. They should not be punished because we're trying to save the planet. And Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts spoke of taking the fight to the fossil fuel industry for its obstruction of action on climate change for decades. We are running out of time on this one. So we've got to do this in 2020. And that means the first thing we've got to do is we've got to attack this corruption head on in Washington and say enough of having the oil industry, the fossil fuel industry, write all our laws in this area. No more. No more. So, if nothing else, this was probably the first time that many in the public and the anchors on CNN learned in depth about the possibilities and opportunities for action on climate change. If they watched all seven hours. Nice short debate would have been nice, too. Yep. For much more on these stories and the ones we could not get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. A little less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. Ain't satisfaction in me either. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Uh, The good news, uh, Hurricane Dorian downgraded now to a Category 2. However, uh, it looks like it's right on target for a hit on the Outer Banks uh, in the Carolinas, where, by the way, there is an election coming up in just a few days for the U.S. House. Two seats uh, that that will be, I'm pretty certain, affected by this storm already have been as uh, early voting has been uh, stalled in, uh, has been shut down in some places. Anyway, we'll pick all of that up on our next thrilling broadcast, no doubt. Stay safe out there, guys. Thank you very much. Until then, Desi Doyen, our producer, I appreciate it. And thanks to our guest, David Roberts of Vox.com. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime at bradblog.com. It is free to anyone who wants to download it. Uh, that is thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to support what Desi and I try to do every day over your public airwaves. You can drop me email as well. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find follow and share me at the Brad blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.